Today we're continuing our series on the Psalms, and we're, we've been worshiping all week. Uh, all, this whole month is that theme, as, as Rob said, of, of worship. And today is Psalms 23rd, the 23rd Psalm, which is, I'm sure none of you know this one or have heard it before. Uh, you know, when I drew the, the, this straw, I thought, hey, this is great. I love this psalm. I can't wait to dive into it. And then as I started to get into it, I started thinking, oh, no, everybody knows this psalm. What am I going to do and pull a rabbit out of my hat that you're like, oh, wow, I never saw that before. I never thought of that. And I'm glad that God's word is such, right, that a lot of what my job is, is to help remind you of truths that you already know, right? Or maybe to help you see something in a new way, uh, in a way that you haven't seen it before, but that is familiar to you. And so with that being said, I'm going to read this psalm and pray, and we'll just dive in to God's word today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm that David penned 3,000 years ago. Lord, we're excited to, to hear what you have to say, and so we ask you, Lord, to teach us this morning by your word, and by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're gonna just go through this whole psalm. It's short enough that we can actually cover pretty much every verse, every line, and as we go through it, but it does kind of break down in three different areas, if you're taking notes, that that I've kind of pulled out of it anyway, or that I see. And the first point is going to be that he leads us to good things. He leads us to good things, is point number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, God uses a lot of metaphors to describe himself and his relationship with us, and this shepherd theme is one that we're very familiar with, right? Uh, Isaiah 53 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, speaking, this is a prophecy of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus himself picks up this theme in the New Testament, which Cammie read this morning from John chapter 10, right? When he says that he's the good shepherd, that he lays down his life for his sheep, that his sheep know his voice. This is a a theme, a metaphor that comes up over and over again, and he takes care of us like lost sheep. Sheep are not very smart. I don't think they do very well in the wild by themselves. If you take a domesticated sheep and drop him in the forest, that's probably not going to go well. And we're like that, right? We're like those lost sheep who need a shepherd. And so what is this response of the psalmist? What is David's response? He says, if the Lord is my shepherd, how can I want more? If God is my shepherd, he's the ultimate power, right? It it helps us to think of the way that Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, 
interceding for us, if God is for us, if he is truly our shepherd, how can we be in want, right? How is it that we can desire something that he doesn't provide for us? So what does he provide for us, this great shepherd? Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He is my provider. He not only gives me what I need to sustain life, but he gives each one of us things that are pleasant. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly, we read in John 10. And the passage I just read in Romans 8 says, will he not also graciously give us all things? Our God, our Heavenly Father, wants to give us good things. It says in Matthew 7, you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He sustains my soul. He restores my soul. My inner self is also satisfied by him. He's concerned about more than our physical well-being. I think the green pastures and the still waters are also metaphors for things more than just our physical needs, right? He gives us good things all the way through down to the level of our soul. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The psalm continues, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, this part is really interesting. He leads us in a path of righteousness. You see, God's design and what he wants for, his, for the world really hasn't changed since Genesis chapter 1. If you read Genesis chapter 1, he says that with Adam and Eve, he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? God wants image bearers representing him covering the earth. That was the original call to Adam and Eve. And now he does that through us, through evangelism. As we share the good news of God, the kingdom of God grows person by person as people enter into the kingdom. And God's image bearers who are in righteousness, who are representing him, who bear the name Christian, right? We bear the name of Christ. His image bearers covering the earth is still what he's about. There's a destination. We don't wander around aimlessly without a purpose in our life, but God is actually leading us in paths of righteousness to do what he has called us to do. It is not for you and for me. We weren't saved just for ourselves, for our own self-actualization. Jesus didn't want you to have your best life now. Christianity is not just about you and I. It's not just about the greatest self-help kind of collection of, of things that we can do. Come together and learn how to just have a great life. There's really more to it than that. He is desiring a group of people that it's not really about our happiness. Happiness isn't the goal, but holiness is, right? If it was about happiness instead of holiness, why would Paul say this, the apostle Paul? Five times I received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, 
there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. After I looked this passage up, I thought, I think I need to print that and put that on my mirror. You know, every day, read through what Paul was facing and go, I think I have it pretty good. But I'll tell you what, this is not a man who's seeking his own personal happiness, right? This is a man who is seeking the holiness of God and the kingdom of God's growth. He knows that he is being led in the path of righteousness for God's namesake. That is the purpose of his life, is to glorify God and to show that glory in everything that he does. He does it for his namesake. Uh, Some of you are familiar with the actress, singer, Barbara Streisand. She's older. She's even older than me. Um, So a lot of you may not have grown up with her or know who she is, but she was really famous in the 70s and 80s especially, but she's she's still pretty famous today. Uh, I was watching a documentary about her one time, and she lives in this mansion in like Santa Barbara, somewhere in California, and She's buying a lot of stuff. You know, she's super wealthy. She has all these things. She has all these collections. And the person interviewing her is talking to her about it. And she says, well, you know, I started collecting all these things. And I want to look at my stuff. But it's just kind of sad to pull them out of boxes out of the attic and stuff. So what did she do? Like most of you would do, right? She built a city under her uh, house. She built a main street under her house with stores and windows. And she placed all her things, her doll collection, her clothing, her furs, all of these things in the windows. So when she gets sad, she goes down in her basement and turns on the street lights and she walks down Main Street and looks at her stuff. And she admires it. She goes in and acts like she's going to buy it. And then she remembers that it's hers. And she feels so good inside. That's kind of sad, isn't it? That she would do that. And yet it reminds me, do I do that? Like, do I lose the purpose of my life and want to dig my own kingdom under my house uh, to myself? And is this all about me? Or am I doing and living this life for his sake and not for my own sake? Am I living for his glory? You know, that's one of the reasons I love coming to worship on Sunday. Because when we come to worship on Sunday... It reorders our lives, doesn't it? It reminds us, hey, wait a second. This isn't about me building my own kingdom. This is about the kingdom of God. And that he's God and I'm not. And I'm supposed to be on mission for his namesake and not for my own. The second point that I see in here is that not only that does he lead us to good things, but he leads us through the tough times. He leads us through the tough times. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, life has its valleys and hardships. It has its peaks. It has its green pastures and still waters. But then, the way sheep are, they kind of eat those out, and you have to go through the dark valleys to get to the next pasture and the next time of still waters. And it's interesting that God leads us through those things. This is a part of life. I think part of what God is doing is he realizes that the valleys in our life help us to grow and help us and shape us into the people that he's calling us to be. And he promises to be with us in those valleys. I love the fact that this psalm says that the shadow of death, He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, or he says the dark valleys is another translation. 
But, you know, a shadow can't really hurt you. It's scary. It can be troublesome. It can be dark. But with the shepherd with us, with him by our side, the shadow of death doesn't really touch us. We see other places in Scripture where Paul says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? That we won't really taste death. We will taste a death here, but not a spiritual death. We will just move from one address to another, right, into God's holy presence when we die. He says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I love this image, and, and there's something, a lot of us are familiar with the shepherd's crook, right? The long thing with the kind of the hook on it. But really, shepherds, a lot of people say they, they carried a rod and a staff. The staff was what they would pull sheep out of danger with, so snatch you away from falling off a cliff or something like that. But they also carried a rod, which was kind of like a baseball bat with a, with like a, a, a a little string of leather that they could let it hang from their belt. And the rod was used as an offensive weapon. Okay, we see this uh, in King David. When King David is getting ready to go face Goliath, do you remember this story? And he's talking uh, with King Saul, and Saul says, well, you can't go against Saul. He's been a fighting man since his youth. You've just been the shepherd. And how in the world do you think you can face somebody like Goliath? And how does David answer? I love this. He says, well... When my father, this is amazing parenting, when my father would send me out to watch the sheep and a bear and a lion would come to take the sheep, I would rescue the sheep from their hand. And if the lion would turn on me, I grabbed him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Okay, now think about that. What is a lion's beard? The mane, right? He's got the club, he pulls the sheep away. If the lion rears up on him, David grabs the lion by the mane and takes care of business. That's pretty unbelievable for David, first off. Like for dads to go, you know how I'm preparing my son for manhood? Go fight lions and bears. That's pretty amazing. And yet David did that. He took the rod and he protected the sheep and our Heavenly Father protects us as well. The third thing that he does is he leads us to glory. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I think God is the one who honors us. When I think about how he honors us, that he says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I can't help but think of the book of Esther. How Haman was a man who hated Mordecai. Mordecai was a Jew who was, was sitting at the gate. He was somebody who uh, had protected the king at one point in time, and Esther was his niece. And so you have Mordecai there, and Haman, if you remember the story, hates Mordecai and wants him dead. And at one point in time, he goes into the king, and the king is reading about the night before he's reading about somebody he needs to honor, and, and he, he hears about how Mordecai had rescued him from a plot. And he's like, I want to honor Mordecai. So he asks Haman, not knowing Haman is wanting to kill Mordecai. And he says, what would you do for somebody to really honor them? And do you all remember the story? Haman says, well, I would, I would take some of your robes, your royal robes, and put them on your horse and have somebody you really trust lead them around the city so everybody can glory in them. And so the king is like, yeah, do that with Mordecai. And I want you to do it. I want you to lead him. So in the presence of his enemy, he is honored 
Mordecai is, has the robes put on him, and he's led around by his enemy. I mean, what a in-your-face moment that is in Scripture. And we have the same kind of imagery right here when he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think this means, uh, this idea, a lot of the people who have written about this psalm believe David wrote this when the kingdom was at peace, when he was at a time where things were going really well in his kingdom. And if you know what it's like to be in the king's chambers when he's eating, there's the king's table that is raised up above everybody else. And then you have all the other tables, and everybody kind of is vying for their place, right? And the best place to sit is where? With the king. You think about David growing up as a young man. When, when Saul first noticed him, he, he probably paid attention to David, and David moved up a little bit when he was playing the harp for him. And then after he killed Goliath, David was sitting where? Probably at the king's table every single time he was at court. And now David is sitting there going, this is my table. And all, this is the ultimate Game of Thrones in real life, right? All of the other houses, all of the other tribes are vying for attention and vying for a place of prominence. And David is sitting there saying, here in the presence of my enemies, you have prepared a table for me. God is the one who lifts us up. It says in Romans 12 that we never have to avenge ourselves, but that we leave it to God. He then says, you anoint my head with oil. Usually in the Old Testament, that was for healing purposes or for royalty. Again, when David was anointed the king, Samuel anointed his head with oil. Jesus talks about this in the time of, this, uh, of the New Testament, that it was something that happened when you went to like a party. If it was like a, a really nice, well-to-do party when you would come in, the guests would be anointed with oil. They would pour oil on their heads as a sign of blessing and of honor. He then says, my cup overflows. This is a sign of abundant blessing. Richness flows out of the cup. Royal imagery, again, that we have from the cup overflowing with wine. Does this refer to heaven? It could be. It could be he's thinking in the future, right, about how overwhelmed we're going to be at the goodness and the blessing of God. But I also wonder, does it refer to us right now? Does your cup overflow? Do you think of just the small little ways that God is blessing you each and every day? You know, each time we are told to bring our cares before the Lord, it says to do it with thanksgiving. And I think we miss sometimes the little things in our lives that God is calling us to notice. As I was writing this sermon, I remember I was sitting there. It was a beautiful spring day outside. I had a hot cup of coffee in my hand. I was working on my sermon, and we have a new puppy at home, and my daughter was playing with the puppy, and I was like, my cup is pretty much overflowing right now. Like, this is awesome. This is an amazing moment. These are small things. Hot coffee, a puppy, my daughter. That's not a small thing, but, you know, beautiful things that we are, they become mundane when we forget to notice how wonderful it is to experience these things in everyday life. But when we notice them, we're aware of how much our cup is overflowing. Then verse 6, David concludes with this great benediction, surely goodness, or some, some uh, different translations say steadfast love, surely steadfast love and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
this overflow of thankfulness and confidence that the shepherd is going to protect us and walk with us and lead us in the new heavens and the new earth. And if the Lord truly is our shepherd, he will make it so. How do we know that he'll do that? How do we know that he loves us that much that he will make it so? We know because our Lord and Savior did sit down at a table prepared before him in the presence of his enemy, right? When he sat down across from Judas, when he had already been anointed, but it was anointed, as he told everybody, for his burial that was coming. And he did take the cup that was overflowing, didn't he, on our behalf, but it was the cup of God's wrath, completely overflowing. He took that cup so that we don't have to. And when he went on that cross, it's like he took that rod and he went after the lion that Satan is compared to who roams around seeking someone to devour, and he crushed his head. Just as it was prophesied in Genesis 3, you will strike his heel, but he will do what? He will crush your head. Our God did that on our behalf so that we can experience true life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and that we know your voice and you call us. And so, Lord, as we prepare now to come to the table, we ask that you will, Lord, just guide us as we enter into this sacrament, Lord, that you have prepared for us. All this we pray in Christ's name.